The Friday night Suda. Please, please picture this scene. Chabra, picture the scene with me, the following scene. Let's join together a Friday night Suda. You could picture, put yourself in there, picture somebody else, either way. You get together Friday night. It's the moments before Kiddush Friday night. The table is set. That white tablecloth looks gorgeous. It's white. It has like nice ridges all around. Beautiful. The table is set. It's magnificent. The table's mamish, mamish set nice. Beautifully set table. The whole room looks stunning. The, the tray with the challah cover, the kiddush cup, the table is just, the, all the napkins are perfection. The whole room looks really, really beautiful. For heaven's sake, even your son's like outfit is like, is so nice and clean and neat. Everybody's dressed well. Things are just beautiful. It's, a, it's really a beautiful, beautiful scene that's seen a few moments before Kiddush. And you, you, you soak in that scene, you look at that scene. Now fast forward two hours later. Two hours later, the, the white tablecloth is no longer white. There are grape juice stains all over. It has gravy from the chicken. It has all different soda spills and the white tablecloth is no longer white. Your child's beautiful outfit, son and daughter's, is no longer looking so clean and neat. There's even, there's even maybe at the table different machleiksim that can come out. You know, kids argue and fight and get upset at each other. And all the serenity, all the beauty in that picture is no longer there. A very, very shallow person will process the story that everything that was is no longer. It's gone. It was destroyed. A much deeper person will soak in what was, and that exists all of Shabbos. There was a covered to Shabbos that was expressed. There was a covered for Shabbos. Shabbos means a tremendous connection to Hashem. There's a sense of the importance of our lives, the importance of the people who make Kiddush, whose lives are about Kiddush Shemayim. And there's something that is stated that's relevant and eternal and doesn't disappear. There's something about the scene that stays forever. It's true now the table is dirty, it's true, and there are other aspects to Shabbos. And learning how to incorporate Shabbos when the table gets dirty. Learning how to live with those realities, so good, there's a task ahead. A very shallow guy on his own journey says, I started out this man with so much want and it never works. I started out with so much enthusiasm. I started out with such a fire and I can never capture it. As if what was disappeared, it's a very shallow view, Elio. What was at the beginning of that Friday night meal does not have to disappear. It wasn't really about the clean tablecloth. It wasn't really about the clean tablecloth was saying something. It was a message of Shabbos, a message that our family surrounds something important, a message that weekly we get together and we have such a Shabbos soda. I was, I was talking to my wife. We were looking into buying in Waterbury, our first house we ever bought. And we find this house that a sports writer lived in. And my wife and I both said we couldn't live in such a house. It was decrepit, beaten up. And we put a lot of money into the house and made it nice. We put a tremendous amount of money. Hashem made a nace, literally. There was an eight-month stretch. They had a clause in Connecticut. They were giving $25,000 to firemen and teachers to put in your house. They didn't want you to put money in your house and then sell it. So it was 5000 per five years. Every year you lived in it, they were Michael. If you only lived one year, you had to pay back 20000 Two years, fifteen. 10, 5, 0. If you live there five years, the money is free. And they were giving money for firemen and teachers to fix up the house. Punked when we were looking for a house. And we got this $25,000 to Chesed Hashem from this nice country as, as, that was given to firemen and teachers. 
it's funny, only later firemen became my enemies. But anyway, the, at the time, I, I felt very uh, aligned with fire people because we both got our $25,000. But the bottom line is we put a lot of money into the house. And then my wife and I were like talking about it, that it felt badly to me that a sports writer, a guyish sports writer, was living in a house... And for me, I couldn't live one. Am I, I have, am I more physical than a guy or sports writer? Am I more Megushim than him? He's the Spitz Megushim. He spends his career writing about bodies. And I'm more Megushim than a guy or sports writer. Because the house he lived in, I couldn't live in. I needed it fancier and nicer. And maybe I am more Megushim. It's, but the question very much was on my mind. My wife and I spoke about it for hours, this question, are we more Megushim than a Goyish sports writer? And it brought us the question, I don't like quick answers because you don't get places with the question, but the question produced a lot of thoughts in my mind and my wife's mind. It, it brought us places, this question, are my, my, my more Megushim than a Goyish sports writer? I do say you had a huge television in every room and oh, we had no yeah. television. Okay. And I do think there's something there, that there's something there that I'm not sure he's living in his house. There's something there. They go, they go when you, they're going to different worlds and different places. We were in the house. That, that was something that I think is very, very real. They had a huge television in every room. There were seven bedrooms. There was a lot of bedrooms. Four on the main floor, three on, four on the first floor, three more on the, on the third floor. They had seven bedrooms, and they don't, in many ways, they have a way out of their own house. And we were in the house with the, not the same vices to get out of the house. So that was something I think that is a difference. But it's still a question here. Here's a man who lived comfortably in the house. And one of my thoughts is okay, how important. It's true, he had a lot of kids. This guy had a lot of kids, this man. Had a lot, a lot of kids. <laughs> I don't compare his kids to my kids. <laughs> but but Lemaisa, Lemaisa, this question was a question. One of the thoughts I was thinking about is how much we value our houses, the Friday night soda. The Friday night, it brought me a lot to the Friday night soda. I was thinking of how many times a year his house becomes like such an important place. How many times a year he cares to clean his house? I was in there a few times with his family as he was showing us the house. We were buying our first property of our life. And I was thinking to myself, how many times a year he's going to care his house becomes holy and, and big to him. And we have weekly where the house becomes very important. It's a place for Ashra Sashchina. Once a week, we're going to sweep it and mop it and get it to be really, really clean and neat. There's something about that, a home, what a Jewish home is about, what it means. That scene at the beginning of the Friday night soda is not something that's temporary. I know when I sit before a Kiddush, I know later on it's going to be rocked. And I still soak in the scene of the white tablecloth, and I know it's not going to retain white. Sometimes my wife, for the day suit, turns it upside down is a good trick. This particular tablecloth, you could do that. But I know it's going to be dirty and messy, but there's something that it says that is true for the whole Shabbos. The message exists and doesn't leave. And I want to say on the enthusiasm at the beginning of Zman, the enthusiasm and the hopes and the dreams at the beginning of Zman, it's true there's an avoida for the middle. It's true there's an avoida for the end. But the etzem statement of what I want, the Bacharu comes to share the first day. The guy who starts this chavrusa, it's not all, it's even the guy who doesn't keep up with this chavrusa. Even the guy who doesn't sustain, and there's an avayda for the middle of Shabbos and for the end of Shabbos, there's something that the beginning says. It speaks about what we want. It speaks about what's important to us. There's a tremendous beauty to the enthusiasm of the beginning. I've spoken in, 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 typical, in typical yeshivas. This man starts out very strong and fades, just the way they construct. I am not in any way cynical about the huge beginning. Zero, zero. Even that it fades. 
even that there's something called Saibsman, and certainly this is an institution that runs differently for all different reasons, but I say to the enthusiastic beginning and the beauty of the beginning, it says something. It says something very important that even when people are fading, and it, as the, it becomes the Nisayan of the middle and the Nisayan of the end, there's something that's stated by an enthusiastic beginning. It's always important to me, my own family, I want my family to be aware yeshivas are starting now. There's a great excitement that would be Kedai if I was a working man in a city, I would probably try to check into the local base measure sometime during the first day, just to be part. It's an important day for Klal Yisrael, yeshivas are opening. People are in, 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 in engaging, what are we, what's a guy in yeshiva for? What's a guy doing there? What, the phenomenon of a yeshiva is an incredible place. It's a place that says something. Here we're working on Kirvis Hashem. Here we're working on growing. That's a phenomenon. Now it's true, there's day in, day out, and there's an avoid. How do I stay up to this task? How do I stay on the task? But that I'm engaging the task, that I'm just entering. There's a pasuk some people say when they go to the base medrash. They say, I go into the base with a tremendous enthusiasm. There's a tremendous excitement. My son, I was happy. My seven-year-old son was singing before he got on the bus. Naftali Fagan's song, We Are Ready. He was singing, we're ready. He was singing loudly in the house, swaying, singing Naftali Fagan's son. To his mind, he had the whole yeshiva with him, like swaying. We're ready for you all. I was so happy that with, with that enthusiasm, I'm aware of Nisyonis to come. I'm aware he'll yet face a difficult Rebbe and a difficult teacher and difficult situations, but the etzem excitement of the beginning is something, it is precious. It doesn't fade, there are other Nisyonis, but it's true, going to the base Hashem, engaging Hashem's Torah, beginning a process of growing, that respect to that, the importance of and the excitement of, is a picture that we should snap. We had today a first Seder, an exciting day in the yeshiva. To me, the second Seder that began today, just a few minutes ago, ended that first, second Seder. We haven't been zeichet in all the years to a second Seder like that, and there'll yet be challenges. The beginning has an enthusiasm. There'll yet be challenges, but the chavrusas, sitting down, learning an Amr a day, there'll yet be challenges. I want that picture. I, I like to freeze that picture of the importance of Torah, of the importance of learning with the chavrusa, of the importance of covering ground in Limerat Torah. So the beginning, the preciousness and the excitement of the beginning is a very important snapshot to keep in our minds. It's not something to be taken, really not something to be taken for granted. I want to, at this beginning, at this beginning, I want to share something that's very, very old. At this beginning, ironically, I want to share something old. I don't like just, I'm not pressing play right now. I am going to study it myself. I'm not asking you to study this now. To the guys who've been here before, I've heard this before. To the guys who are new, it'll be the first time. I want to learn this again. I want to learn it again for me. Ein beis medrash belich You don't repeat old stuff without a new nuance. If you're just present, you'll automatically have new chedushim and new ideas. A friend of mine who's very, 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 very close to, extremely close, he asks that you repeat and you always, he knows, he, uh, we've learned the Torah together, we've learned much Torah together, we were chavrusas for six years, and he said, you say things you said so many times, you always add a chiddush. And he asked me, like, how do you remember to add a chiddush? How do you remember what you said? And we were discussing this point that if you relearn something present, you'll automatically have chiddushim, because you're not the same as yesterday. If you press play, you press your nose and you're not present, so you won't have any chedushim. You're saying what you said yesterday. If you relearn what you learned yesterday, today, it would be weird that you would say the same thing because you're different. You had a year more of experiences. So I want to share something that it's not just an old thing of the yeshiva, it's ever progressing. It's something that I have learned years ago and I'm learning more about it and more details about it. I want to share this with the guys as just an understanding of the yeshiva. 
This is not meant for a certain grade. I'm, I talk 10th, 11th, 12th. First of all, I don't view 10th grade as the year the guy is in 10th grade. We have many 12th graders who come who are 10th grade. We have guys who are Kyle guys who are 10th graders. We have times in our lives we need to plug into 10th grade. 11, these are stages, less, less to do with grades and stages. They don't take a set amount of time. One guy in yeshiva doesn't need 10th grade. One guy needs a day of 10th grade. One guy needs three years of 10th grade. They're all different life circumstances that cause that. We graduate guys who graduate 10th grade Waterbury. Excellent, excellent. Then for 11th, they'll go to Eretz Yisrael. Another guy does 10th, 11th, 12th, another guy finishes 10th in a month. So I would like to share the three stages of the yeshiva. I think there's new things to learn. If you've heard it already, please learn with me today. If we learned it yesterday, let's learn we're different people, we're better, we know more today. The 10th grade stage of the yeshiva. The 10th grade stage of the yeshiva, the first thing is I want a guy to be a decider, to choose something. I want him like Avram Avinu, who chose, who made a decision, he chose something. He was not following a carved out path. It wasn't somebody else's journey. He wasn't doing like his dad did. His father was an Ovid Avodah Now Avram Avinu chose something. And I think in everybody's journey, it's important to choose. We don't do well, people choose for us is wonderful. I think there's an age and a stage for every person, no matter how good or bad their chinuch was, that there's a time and place in our life we have to choose. Guys have described to me, who learned in Eretz Yisrael, that even those that chose already have to choose again. It's worth it to go to Eretz Yisrael just for that, that you have to choose again. I want a guy to fall in love with Yiddishkeit and choose it. Act, I want a guy to choose to pray. I want a guy to choose to learn. And he has choices. And there's no tricks around that. You can't be a yeshiva that, ele- that people choose davening unless they can choose not to davening. I don't know how to make a system that you're punished if you don't go to davening and somehow choose to daven. Maybe when they leave the yeshiva, they'll make that choice. I want a guy to make that choice in yeshiva. He chose to come to Minyan. He chose to become a davener. And there's Avram Avinu of falling in love with Yiddishkeit and so choosing. Falling in love with Hashem and so choosing. And the first stage of Yeshiva is that, that period that I want a guy to fall in love with Yiddishkeit. I want him to be excited about Yiddishkeit. I, it's not weighing any practical process. I've, I'm going to tell you a horror story about a guy in yeshiva. He went through a... I want you to hear the horror story. It's the most damage that Shaykh for a parent in the Masifta to do. I'm going to meet the parents. I'm making a Zoom meeting at the beginning of next week. Pauline Adder with the parents. And one of my main messages for the 10th grade parents... 10th grade could be a 12th grade son. And it often is. This is the first message how a parent can completely cause the yeshiva to be ineffective. I'm thinking about a specific name. I, I'm telling the story only because I want it to be more vivid to you, the idea I'm sharing. This particular kid came in here with many difficult experiences in his life, many, and as such had a tremendous distrust to Torah, to Rebbeim, for learning a false version of Torah, a false version of Yiddishkeit. He had a tremendous aversion to Yiddishkeit. He came to yeshiva and loved his Rebbe. He had a very good kesher to his Rebbe. They were in touch. He appreciated his Rebbe. They had a very good kesher. Practically, he looked, as, he did not, he looked less from them when he came in, practically. Why did he look less from? Because nobody forced him to look from. So his external look, he, he came in, no shaykhist to the laws of Torah and Yiddishkeit. But he looked a better look. He was close to his Rebbe. The look wasn't what he was pushed or forced or encouraged. That had no shaykhist. The bottom line is his schedule was not great. He was close to his Rebbe, and that's what he had. His, he loved his Rebbe. His Rebbe loved him. They had a real honest relationship. His parents were very cynical people. I know them. They tend to be negative. That was part of the traumas that he faced in his life. And his parents would hammer away at him. I don't get what you do. You're wasting your time. We're wasting our money. Why are we paying for this? Show me the difference. And 
pounding away for months at him. He was young. He didn't have an understanding of his own journey. He does not have the words to express or even necessarily the understanding. His life was changing. Without his parents' cynicism, it's Pasha to me, he would have been a serious Bentayra because the first stages of his complete, his, his turn, I have seen guys do stage 10th grade, two, three years where they change their whole attitude. To their shul, they look no frummer to the people of their shul. Zero. He looks less from. To who? What's happening to him? Then in about the period of four months, after he likes Hashem, likes Torah, likes his Rebbe, his whole, every Ava, any, every inner has changed. In those four months, all of a sudden, he's davening and learning. People say, whoa, you frummed out. The change that was under the change that was intent was much more profound. It's not very hard to put on a hat. I can pass one around if everybody wants to try. It's very easy to put on a hat. It goes on like mamish. You could pick one up, you buy them. It costs a lot, but then you could buy it. You put it on. You saw the change I just did. That change was very very easy. Growing pace takes a little longer. You could do that. These changes are matter, they're very easy. They're very easy. The change that he underwent that took months, that was difficult, that was a lot of hours of conversation, a lot of tears, a lot of time spent that the neighbors couldn't see. The Avramavinu stage is very delicate that somebody actually changes his whole inner, his whole attitude, his whole belief system, and that comes from relationship, from conversation, to the point that he fell in love with something and now made a decision and he chose and decided something. That process is different by every person, how long it will take. It's unique to every person. That's the Avram, the 10th grade stage. The amount of damage that can, when somebody's cynical, I don't see anything. This kid himself couldn't articulate, you're right, I'm wasting my time, he would say. You know how many guys in yeshiva I should collect, I should take count, I have not taken count. You know how many guys have apologized at the end of the 10th and 11th grade, whether the 10th grade was two years, said, Rebbe, I really wasted my time here, now you'll see, you'll see, next year I'm gonna use my time. And it just, it just makes me, ch- wasted your time? What would you like when you came? What were your loves? What were your, and there was no quick way, if there was a quick way to press a button and all that changed, that takes time, that takes time. I increasingly believe the greatest influence on another person's life. In Chinuch, you can manipulate people to good behaviors. You could do it, and I don't say good behaviors won't have an effect. But I could, a person might learn all day and daven all day, and of course, Torah impacts a person. What's the deepest change in a, inside a person that's real, that's powerful, that's life-changing? To me, the deepest change inside of a person. How can you affect the person? You can manipulate, get him to do things. And it's true, it's true if he learns. Tire itself has an awesome power. If you learn tire with somebody and he feels nothing, Tyra will do things, no question about it. The deepest change on another human being possible is that he sees something that's authentic and real and, he, and he's moved by that. That's the deepest change in a person. At the point the guy meets Rabbi Russ and gets him and understands him and is moved by authenticity, is moved by sincerity, and in a deep way says, I can't believe there's such a thing. That's a deep and profound change in a person. He then wants something, is interested in something, and choosing something, you've changed the game. Things are different. The biggest thing we can hand to somebody is a hasag, is he sees something, is aware of something, wants that thing, and chooses it. That's the deepest change. That's all part of 10th grade. If you could just access that he meets an older dorm counselor, he meets a Ben Tyra, that he's moved. Are you real? Are you, there's, there's gotta be something. And at that point, there's a deep change in a guy. He's seen something. He's discovered something. He's interested in something. Deep things move inside such a person. 
profound things change inside of a person. That's what we call in yeshiva 10th grade. That's what we're interested in 10th grade. We're not thinking about external schedules. Any, we're not thinking about any of that stuff. We're trying to focus on that point. All our lives, there's avoid, there's 10th grade avoid when we're 20, 30, 60, 90 in our own lives. There's avoid and there are ways when we, when we, when we visit a Talmud Chacham, when we meet a big person and we connect, there are all different ways in our own life where we're mechazik our own 10th grade, our own connection, excitement, our own want. I like always, I, I, there's many aspects that are hard to drive to, a long drive to yeshiva. I used to have a very quick commute to yeshiva to work, and today I have a half hour, 35 minute commute, and there's many hard aspects to that. It's very time consuming. A day like yesterday, if I drive twice, it's two hours of driving. That's a lot of travel in one day. The positive aspect of commute to work is I've retaken the jobs many times. That's Avram Avinu to decide, should I do this this year? My wife and I have committed to this mission many times. We didn't take this mission 13 years ago and we're still here. That would be completely untrue. I'm very new to this. I just decided a few days ago to do this again. There's decisions to do. Our own Avram Avinu, our own connection and excitement and choice should be redone many times in our life through all different ways that we could re-choose and re-decide. That's the Avram Avinu, the 10th grade stage. The 11th grade stage is something that I give a lot of credit. I, I call myself a, Tal- a Talmud. That's an arrogant oh, word. Nice. But in a, somebody who aspires to be a Talmud of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And the reason that I feel such a closeness is primarily because of two things that I've learned from him. And one of those two things that I want to share now the Rebbe has a Chiddush in Avodah Hashem that at first surprised me and today it's become such an important part of my own, my own life. I want to share this with you. And this really defines the 11th grade of the Yeshiva. The Rebbe has Hasidim, he has an army of Hasidim, he has 5,000 Hasidim, many of them who never met him, and they move with their wife and kids to crazy places around the country. And they go there, they're such heroes, these incredible people. We daven, Hudi and I daven at Minyan this summer. We went on vacation. Of course, wherever you go, there's a Chabad. That's where you get kosher food, or, or that's where you get a Minyan. And people move. One of the guys in Yeshiva, one of the B'nai Torah, he sat and learned in the front for years. He sat in the space medrash, learned Basmada. He's going to medical school. He's going to an island somewhere. And he has a minion and kosher food. Of course, there's a Chabad. And these heroes, these people, are soldiers move their families. We all know what it means to live with a place with all the amenities of a kosher, of a from environment. There's a lot of, there's stores, we like a pizza shop. There's a lot of gishmaka stuff that all of us are used to. These people leave the support of their own families they don't have their families. They leave all the nice things that a from community gives and they move out to place. Now, what are they trying to do? So in my eyes, you think they're doing Kirov. So I challenge anybody here, the next Chabad house, ask the guy how many people you made from. I would relate. I'm very like, I'm, I, I'm, into, I'm, I'm competitive. I would relate how many people knew you're out of town. Give me your stats. How many home runs have you hit this year? So how many guys are from? You moved here, the Rebbe fired you up. His, 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 his writings, his teachings, his Talmidim fired you up. And you were willing, you're so fired up to move to Honolulu. Okay, so what are your stats? How many from guys? He will look at you. I challenge you. I ask you to do this. Go ask a chassid how many from people he was mekarev. He will look at you with googly eyes. He'll look at you. Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it. He will look at you, Danny, funny. He won't know what you're talking about. What's going on? You moved here to get from people. He's like, no, I moved here to get Yidin to do mitzvahs. I put Philin on a Yid. When I first heard this, I thought, isn't it a cop out? Like, go for the whole deal. From. Let's go. Make people from. A person and the Rebbe taught the value of a mitzvah. A mitzvah is eternal, the value of a mitzvah. 
My Rebbe's father was a rav of a community that was mostly not yet from. The people weren't from at the start. There's a Rosh Hashiva, a great Rosh Hashiva in America today, who became from, he became from, from this community. The, but the community was in Ozone Park, it's near Queens, and my Rebbe's father was a rav there. In this community, in Ozone Park, see, he was working with the people, he was a very, very busy man. He was, he was somebody, a big tzaddik, was very close to Rav Aaron Cutler, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, mm-hmm. the Panovich Rav would come from Eretzor, would stay by them, he was a very big person. And before Pesach, he enlisted an army of people, and they would send out matzah to so- Jewish soldiers in the American army. He had lists. And he would like study the list and go through a lot of tircha. There was a whole thing to get these packages, to send these parcels. These packages contained in the packages with some matzah for American soldiers. Somebody asked my Rebbe's father, do you, do you understand that the people are eating hummus? They're eating chazer, these people. And he said, yeah, in the place in their stomach where there's matzah, there won't be any chametz." And he, what he was saying was, there's a moment of loyalty to Hashem. They're going to make a bracha, and they're going to eat matzah. And the yid is going to be loyal to Hashem. And all his work, hours and hours, many, many days for a man who was busy, he was working because it was worth it for him. It was worth it for him that a yid was going to be loyal to Hashem. And the sincerity that they go out of town places, and their point is a Yid did a mitzvah. A Yid connected to Hashem, it was precious, a mitzvah. The 11th grade of the yeshiva is about a Yid doing a mitzvah. Often we see a guy put on tefillin, so our thoughts are, and this is a puzzle thought, oh, better, you're getting there, you're on your way, ah, aladerech, oh, 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 better, you know, you're getting there. A guy comes to a seder, he's doing much better. Wow, you can't say that. See, you're, see, you're almost there. There's a tremendous mistake to that picture, not just for others, for ourselves. You learn to say that. What do you mean? You just learn pirate. You make a brach on that, you're alive for that. You're alive for that. You make a shabbat and then you learn. There's a value to that for itself, not for where it's bringing, not for where it's getting. The person just was a loyalist to Hashem, just tapped into Ratzon Hashem, just did that which is eternal, Chai Eilam. He did that which is profound. He was a loyalist to Hashem. There's a tremendous value in the action of a mitzvah. The whole 11th grade is, is what we're thinking about, is not what the guy is becoming, what the guy is putting together. It's the value of a mitzvah, the value of an action, that has a value for itself. A bacher comes into the base medrash, four, five, six, and puts on his tefillin. He put on phylacteries and makes a bracha that has a value. Yes, that has a tremendous value. There's a tremendous madrega studying the value of a mitzvah, learning about mitzvahs, learning what the mitzvah represents, what is the mitzvah. Gaining an attachment to the mitzvah would be put in the 11th grade part. The more the mitzvah is important, and this is an avayda for all the ages, all the stages of our life. The more we study a mitzvah, the more we commit to a mitzvah, the more we connect to a mitzvah, the mitzvah itself becomes something very, very precious. Klal Yisrael just came, we, we're in the month of Elul, the month before Elul was Av. Av, it's interesting, Av is a very fascinating month. I love that it's called Aleph Bays because any month has two parts to it. And Av has a son. Aleph Bays is that month. It's a fascinating month that the first half is a month of tremendous pain. It's a month where Klal Yisrael National Mourning. Halfway through the month, Tuba Av, the month flips. The Gemara says that the two happiest days of the year, the two happiest days of the year are Tuba Av and Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, of course, is a happy day. Tuba Av has the two happiest days of the year. Tuba Av. Most people didn't even hear of Tuba Av, and yet the Gemara marks it as one of the happiest days of the calendar. It doesn't say happy. A yamtiv, a good day. So yamtiv, like tuvav. 
What is this day of Tubav? And the Gemara in Tainus gives a couple of things that happen Tubav. Tubav flips the script from very, very sad destruction, what we're lacking and missing, void. The first half of Av is void. What pulls us out of that? The misery of void. There's lacking. All of us can relate to Av and Tishabav. All of us. Because every single one of us has a lot of void in our life. To relate, to mourn, to be misavel is like, obviously it's the easiest part of the calendar to connect to. By easy, I don't know a human being who can't plug in to void. If a guy's mamish out of touch with any reality, anybody in touch with their own reality can plug into Tishabav and Av. We all feel void, tremendous void. And so that's, that's Av. Now what changed? What changes the game? Misholem, what flips the month and all of a sudden it's a happy, what changed? The void is still there. And what changes is too bad, I don't, I can't prove this, but it's definitely would seem to point that way that we have a month, we have a day in the middle of Av that's a happy, like Tubav. And the Gemara says what Tubav is, one of the time in the Gemara is we celebrate the gathering, the completion of a mitzvah. What mitzvah do we complete? We gathered wood for the Mizbeach. There's an Isidaraisa, a fire, a mitzvah, a fire must constantly burn on the Mizbeach. It's never allowed to go out. In order to keep a fire going on the Mizbeach, you need a lot of wood. You need a lot of wood. Any loss, you don't need to be in loss camp to know this. Anybody, you need wood to keep the fire going on the Mizbeach needs wood. We finished collecting the wood, Misholem, on Tubav. Reasons not known to me, it has to do with the dry and wetness of things, the rain seasons. Tubav afterwards, afterwards, the wood is not as good. And they finished collecting wood for the year on Tubav. To celebrate that mitzvah, we have Tubav, we have Yamtiv. That's interesting. The Grand Shulchan Aruch brings this as one of the source of Siyomim. We finish a Masechta, we make a Siyum. The Gras says one of the sources of Siyumim is Tubav. Because we finish Goyim Rashal Mitzvah, you completed a Mitzvah. And as such, we celebrate the completion of Mitzvah. Everything is very exact. It's fascinating, the Mitzvah that teaches us to celebrate completing Mitzvah, Sabi. When a guy collects wood from his back, we say, Yay, we collected woods. Any intelligent person obviously says, you didn't finish anything yet. What's the point of having wood? Burning it on the mitzvah. So it's the essence of a mitzvah that's just, you didn't finish anything. You have wood, but now you've got to burn it. And even this mitzvah, which is so not complete, we celebrate a completed task. You are loyal to Hashem. It's not about the completion of the task. It's about the activity of loyalty. So even the mitzvah, which marks your soul in the middle, you collected wood, there's a point for it, but you have to celebrate the loyalty. We were loyalists to Hashem, Akiba. Why did we collect the wood? Laman Hashem. What changes the month from a month of void to happiness is the sense we are missing and lacking and in middle. And we don't have things, but it's the tremendous akara of celebrating what we do have. And you celebrate Goyim Rishel Mitzvah, we completed a task. That chassid the Rebbe sent out there, there's much missing and much void, but there's a mitzvah. And he goes out there to ignite that mitzvah and celebrates Goyim Rishel Mitzvah. Person put on tefillin. And he celebrates Goyim Rishel Mitzvah. That is the, that is the, the yamtiv called Tubav. And the 11th grade is that Nikud, is Goyim Rishel Mitzvah, the, the value of a mitzvah, the preciousness. Now this is something all our lives to study, to tap into, the appreciation for an action, for a, for a pool of a mitzvah. Study the mitzvah, learn about it, connect to it, learn what it means, the mitzvah, study Svarim on the mitzvah. But celebrating the activity and connecting to the activity is 11th grade, a Rebbe will never give off such a sense. A guy who comes to share, there are no statistics. You're doing better. He came to share and he learned that day and that has a value. He learned, he studied something that day. That has a value. He put on film today, that has a value. That is 11th grade. The 12th grade, 
if it happens here, excellent, it happens in Eretz Yisrael, if it happens when we're 50, is the Shlemus, is putting together. There is something to becoming a Ben Torah, to piecing together, to learning with Asmada, to putting all the pieces together. That Shlemus, of course, has a tremendous value. We look at a picture, a seer of a person who has Shlemus, who's a davener, who didn't just daven, but is a davener, Anit Filah. He didn't just daven, but he's a davener. He didn't just learn, but he's a learner. That shleimus, of course. There's something to somebody who became a learner, a ben Torah, that he's developed into something. I need tefillah, David HaMelech says, that's 12th grade. The putting it together beyond the pu'ula, but I'd become that, that's the 12th grade. So I wanted to give like a little, a little run through the three years for ourselves for ourselves just to what process we're trying to engage on this at the opening, at this Daschala, at the exciting time of Daschala, as we're taking a picture of Daschala, I wanted to give those three years to the guys. There are a couple of more things I want to say, but it has to be we start with song. I'm thankful, what Benny Stein. What? what about about I wanted, <laughs> I wanted a, it's a good question. I wanted a, I wanted to interrupt with the song, and then I want to, I want to share a couple of more things with the guys. I'm going to ask Benny Stein came back to come forward. Rabbi
I'm going to do, do one more song. I want to share something. That, Binny, that was a new one of Binny. I have to pound that one. I want him to do an old one that he knows I'm into. But I want to share something. I want to close with something. We're learning Masechta's getting. I want to close with something that's on the Masechta to what we're saying. And we'll close with this for today. That we're learning Masechta's getting is a Masechta that obviously deals with divorce. And there's, there's, there's a lot of conversation, even that Gittin's before Kedushin, which Masechta's first, is something to, to contemplate and think about. I want to say that the fact that there's something called Gittin, there's something called divorce, and there's something called that Kedushin can end, by its very nature that there's something called Gittin, says that this Kedushin keeps going. By the very fact that it could be stopped, so there's a decision to keep it going. We're speaking about being a Beicher. You learn about Rabbi Yechner and Kain Gadol. It was 80 years, the Kain Gadol, and then he went off the derech. It's not just this, this frightening thing. Chazal teaches us about Ruchnius. That's Noyach La'abid Kechlizachuchis. It could be broken and lost like a glass keli. It's actually a very encouraging thing that even when we've chosen, we're, we're obligated and responsible to keep choosing. The fact that condition can end and there's a way to end it is the lesson that there's something to keeping it going. There's a decision to keep it going. The person doesn't just say, I had it yesterday, so it's here. There's something called getting. It can be ended and it can end. And as such, there's a decision, no, let's keep Kedushin going. Every single married couple has a chance. They could just say, I'm married. I was married yesterday. Yeah, but there's something that could be done that could end it says that the decision to keep it going. No, let's keep Kedushin going. Let's keep it going. Yet another day, yet another day. This in our whole lives as Avdei Hashem. In our very lives as Avdei Hashem is to make decisions and to decide again and to be mechadish, to re-strengthen, to recommit, to re-put in. It's such a beautiful month, Elul, and we'll speak about Elul, this gorgeous month, when Yidin again, when Yidin arimachazik their connection to Hashem, this precious month that Yidin strengthen their relationship to Hashem, that it's a relationship that's not just stale and old, it's ever strengthened, ever decided, ever putting in new energies. We have Rosh Hashanah, when we're Mamlech Hashem, we were Mamlech him last year. But again, we make the decision to coronate again. Again, we're Mechadish, again we choose. It's the very essence, we're all choosers. We're choosers. When we speak about 10th grade, like we want somebody to choose, there's an art to choosing again. There's a need to choose again. The life of a Yid is somebody who chooses. That's Chaim itself. This ability to choose, to re-plug in, to re-decide, to be ever-present, to put back in. The fact that it can be taken away, the fact that it can get lost, is a tremendously important point. It forces Hashem's way of forcing us to choose, to be mechadish, to put back in, to decide again. It's cool that we're mamlech and we're, we're, we're asked, and even have a mitzvah of shayfer yearly, to coronate Hashem. One would say, I did it last year, but our job is to remain choosers, to ever fresh, ever new, put back in, re-mechazik, re-decide, that's the task. That there exists a person like Rabbi Yechanan Kayin Gadol, who we're told was Chayzeh was, Lesurah, was, was went off, just calls us to choosing, to being mechazik, not just to rest on our laurels and say, I chose yesterday, I already had chose. When guys have things in their life which force them to re-choose is a very healthy thing. That it says to a person, we have to constantly be choosers. We have to constantly make decisions and not rely. We never want to be that stale person. That person who says, I chose already. We never want to be, when life doesn't, Baruch Hashem, Hashem doesn't allow us to be that stale person who chose already. The fact that there's a hechetimsa to end a marriage says to a person, choose the marriage again and again. There was a way out and there is a way out. Choose this relationship. Gittin itself gives such chiyus and chizuk to Ketushin. It's not just a way out and not just because it's not a way out in a desperate situation. Gittin says something. 
I don't hide from the guys that there's something called get. Maybe we shouldn't learn it. We have kids here, you know, they're 10th graders. Don't tell them about this. Tell a guy about getting. Tell them there's such a thing as ending this precious relationship. This amazingly close relationship that our relationship to Hashem Shir Hashirim speaks about a husband and wife. We refer to our relationship in terms every Shabbos, Ba'ikala, Ba'ikala. We refer to this in terms of marriage, and yet there's something called get speaks to a person about being re-mechazik and re-choosing and getting in gufa because there's a way to stop it. So this point, this 10th grade mitzvah of, of reinvigorating, re-choosing, re-mechazik, the fresh person knows that he has to put back and has to choose again. So this... This calling of Elul that calls people, choose again, be mechazik again, develop the kesher, get back into the kesher, that, that shayfer of Elul that says there are ways out. The Ramam describes the ways out that a person can run away and there are all different ways and the person is called to be beicher, to choose again. The call of El, the ever fresh choosing, deciding, making that decision that's the call of this precious month. We should have Siyat Shmaya, our second Seder, that began today should be Gishmak. We're learning, I like starting a Masechta from the beginning. So I'm happy. It's very, very, anybody can analyze. I don't know the answer. There are many Masechtas and Shas. I have, no, I have no idea of the answer that are written backwards. I can't figure it out. Chazal did it on purpose. Anybody who studies Gittin, if you have a theory, I'd be fascinated. Gittin is written backwards. The ninth parak should be the first parak. It's like obvious. The ninth parak, if you want to talk about Gittin, what's the first question? If I'm studying Masechta's Gittin, a guy should ask himself questions that he wants to figure out in this Masechta. What's the first question when you talk about divorce? Is grounds for divorce. That's the first question is, when are you, al- are you supposed to divorce? Are you allowed to divorce? When are you allowed to divorce? What parak is grounds for divorce spoken about in Aryeh? The ninth parak. Grounds for divorce, the end of the Masechta. The ninth parak is the most fundamental. I find the last two parakim, the eighth parak is one of my favorite parakim in Shas. The eighth and ninth are the most like you side the stick in, in getting. The first parak is a rare case. A guy's already said, I don't even know who's allowed to divorce. How maybe get Medina Sayyam, a husband divorced his wife and sent it overseas. <laughs> a rare case. A unique and rare case, the Masechta starts. Why the Masechta is written that way, I don't know. I don't have a shot. I don't know. It's written in a very, very interesting. We need to think about it. It's written in a very unique form, though, that we need to think about why it's written that way. But I, I still like starting a Masechta from the beginning. Chazal wrote in this order for a reason. So we'll learn it in order. Second Seder, we're going to try to keep an Amr today. I thank all the guys who are here. Whoever didn't have a Chavrusa should please come to me. I will try to arrange. We do have more Chavrusas. Both ways, we have older and younger who still need. Whoever needs a Chavrusa still should come to me. I thank all the guys for beginning. Again, the pace we're going to try to keep is an Amr day. We're going to try to have Chavrusa on it once in a while. I don't want to say how often once in a while. I would love to share. Other people would love to share. We'll try to, if we can gather maybe once in a while for a quick Chabura, 10 minutes something on the Masechta, if whoever wants to come. It will be starting, we started the first parak. That's what we're doing, second Seder. The first Seder, so that people learning the eighth parak, Hazarik, and people learning the ninth parak. Both of those are Megarish. Those are the two parakim that we're learning first, Seder. Anybody who wants to join it will go every day 3.30 to 4.30. We'll start. You can go to 4.45. We'll start Musar on consistently. We're going to try to be on time at 4.45. That's when Musar will start. I'm going to try to ask the guys in future days to come to this side because they're those that want to learn second Seder. 4.30 to 6.30. Very encouraged. On the other side of the base mesh, they'll learn the first parak more Be'iyon. That will be the Seder Ayyim. I want to ask Benny, I like continuity. So he gave us a new song. I want to tap into an old song. He put an old song that contains many Yisaidis of the Yeshiva. I'll tell you something funny. I'll, I'll tell the guy something interesting. A Bachar asked me last year, Ilan. He said that when I was at a Yeshiva, I was always listening to Tati, my king. I came here, I never heard it once. So he was like wondering, like he said, before I came, I'd listen to the music of the yeshiva, and I come here, I don't hear the music. 
and I wow. told him something 100% that I think is true. And what I told him, I'm curious what you guys think. The music is the echo of something. The yeshiva has values and ideas, and the music reflect the ideas of the yeshiva. Somebody's sitting, I met a kid, a kid drove me in Los Angeles. He's not in yeshiva, not in any yeshiva, and he's not so connected to Yiddishkeit. He showed me on his music playlist, he has all Gaiyish songs and the Waterbury music. This kid, somebody asked that, that, that we should spend time, he drove me around, and he, the only thing like Jewish involved, he connected to the music of the yeshiva. He was connecting to the ideas, and the music was an echo of the ideas. When you're sitting here, Shui Leifer is sitting next to Rabbi Russ. He doesn't need to hear about connection and relationship. You're hearing the music. The music is broadcast. You're living the music. So he's not listening to the song. He's living the song. The song is only expressing what you're going through. So we can still hear the song. There's no crime to hear the song, but you're living the song. You're not hearing the song. So the guy sitting in L.A. who's not sitting next to Rabbi Russ holding his hand, so he just hears music about don't ever let go of me. He hears what you're experiencing. The music is an echo. This song is a tremendous, tremendous song that expresses ideas that Binny has taught us. They're all different ideas that guys have put into the yeshiva that we've developed together. So I asked Binny to sing that song. You know which one I <laughs> Okay. With the capo, it would sound much better. Oh, many moons ago, and I wasn't old, and I 
And I wasn't brave enough to let you see tears And I won't see melodies And I won't see melodies I'll call it in my soul Rabbi say they'll be for the after. We're still working out the second part of Second Seder. If guys want Chaburus and Shurim will still yet yet to be, but we'll try to keep this 4:45 to 5:45. Supper will be 6:30, and nights it'll be 7:30. I should Why don't we just call it Thursday? <laughs> <laughs>